Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief here at Modern Retail, and I'm joined today with Ryan Keaton, who is the chief brand officer at Carvana. And I'm very excited to talk about the world of car buying right now because I'm sure it's been turned on its head over the last year. But hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Kale. Very much. Uh, very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So first, why don't you just give a little bit of an intro about yourself? Because you've been at Carvana for quite a while. Am I not, am I not mistaken? Uh, yeah, that's correct. I'm one of the uh, the co-founders, and my title is chief brand officer. So I've been with Carvana since basically since the beginning. Uh, you know, when you know early 2012, when we're you know contemplating how we're going to build this business to to sell cars online. And so what was the initial idea for Carvana? Like, how did, how did you and your co-founders come about it? Yeah, great question. Um, it wasn't necessarily something where we looked at the landscape and said, hey, all these different products are going more DTC and, you know, what hasn't moved online yet? And we're like, oh, yeah, cars, let's try that. I think <laughs> it came from a different spot where, you know, our CEO and other founder, Ernie Garcia, had spent some time in automotive retail. So he had a, a good perspective and insight in terms of, how that worked, um, you know, the process that people went through, the experience that they went through, but also like a lot of the economics behind it, right? Like, you know, what are the real costs pass on to the customer, right? In, in typical cases, the overhead of traditional retail adds up to something like $2,000 per transaction on average. And when you looked at that, it's like, okay, what are you getting for that 2000 bucks? You're able to go to a physical location, you have a small amount of vehicles, you get to do a 15-minute test drive where you take four right-hand turns, and then you spend about four hours you know, dealing with salespeople, right? Trying to mm-hmm. you know, get a little kind of margin out of you through that. It's not a great experience. So if we wanted to kind of really create a better customer experience there, which is what we're kind of laser-focused on at Carvana, we were like, well, what would we have to build to replace a lot of that, right? We believe that having a better selection than 300 cars is important. So we need to have kind of operations enable us to acquire cars and perfect them and hold them at these distribu- distribution centers to sell them. We need to create a self-service platform, right? That can kind of create that you know, virtual walk around that you'd experience at a dealership. So we built some patented photo technology before we launched. And I don't know if you've seen it on our website where people can view that car in 360 degrees and zoom in and has features and imperfections. Um, it was radically different when we launched that than anything out there at the time. And there's been a lot of folks trying to trying to catch up and follow there, but you need to build something like that. You also need to integrate financing, which takes so much time at a dealership where you know you kind of give your information and they walk away and they come back whatever 10, 15 minutes later and say, Congratulations, you're approved. <laughs> and it's six percent. You're like, well, wait a minute, does that feel right? How does that work? And we had to build some really, really robust technology to collapse that four hours down to almost sub-seconds. And at that point afterwards, it was all right, we need to be able to have people you know, do a trade-in or get a value there and sign contracts and schedule delivery or pickup and kind of then build the operations that enable us logistically to move these cars around and fulfill the ultimate last mile delivery. So a lot of it, you know, long answer to your question, was built through kind of insight and a very kind of like rough customer experience that people don't necessarily enjoy that also really had a lot of like costs that are passed on the consumers for said experience. And then what do we go about doing to build that? And you know, how we approached it wasn't very much like, oh, let's build a marketplace where it's kind of a light technology layer. We made the choice that was much more vertically integrated retailer, very much like Amazon. And so can you talk a little about, you mentioned the costs that are passed on to the consumer. Is, is your business model in scale? Because it seems like, yeah, you're losing the brick and mortar aspect, which save you some money, but you're building a tech stack and you're also adding a logistics component too. And so sort of how, describe to me the overall business model that at play. 
Yeah, I think um, the way you kind of you know address it was right. I think like you're you're making margin in, in different ways off the off the vehicle, off potentially trade in, off like financing, and off like ancillary products. Right when you go through that transaction in a traditional mm-hmm. way, and we enable people to do that too. Uh, but it is through a self service model, like you said, through a through a tech stack. I think what's different is we certainly have overhead, but it's at a very, very low, you know, a number as opposed to what you would traditionally get at a dealership. So, you know, all things being equal, just this last quarter we reported, we had over $4,000 in GPU, which was our, you know, best quarter we've had to date. And it was our first quarter where we were EBITDA positive. So it was a huge milestone for us. But Mm -hmm. the difference is we can make those investments and we believe to be better customer experiences, right? It's a seven day return policy. It's a soon next day delivery. It's our car vending machines. It's some of those logistical things that you mentioned. But because our overhead is lower, we don't have to, you know, charge kind of hand over fist as it relates to some of these other portions to make back that margin. Or we don't have to introduce things like bogus fees. Like if you go to a dealership now, you'd be like, oh, okay, you're about, you know, three and a half hours in, and the endowment <laughs> effect is really taken over, and you're like, okay, what's this line item here that says doc fee? And it's like, oh, well, everybody pays that, right? And like <laughs> that's where I think, in a sense, that like we didn't need to kind of do any of that funny business just because. You know our model and economics behind it, with a lower overhead and kind of same ways to kind of generate that income, was was just different um, out of the gate. So, can you just talk a little about the overall strategy with the car vending machine? Because I'm just fascinated with that. Yeah, those vending machines—they've they've really become like a you know what are almost like what our brand is known for, right? Because it's something that's so like visible. You can see it and you can kind of understand it, but it's also so different. So, like it kind of pulls you in that way. And I think like. We've got 27 of them now, but like when we wanted to develop that first one, just for background, it was, you know, we we launched our first one, I believe, it was kind of in Atlanta in November of 2013, and up to that point, it was just delivery only, right? And so we kind of just realized that like our whole business was about giving customers a choice and putting them in control, but like the kind of metaphor, if you're like a home team versus an away team, if I still have to go to a dealership, even though I know that it's not going to be potentially great, I still have the ability to walk away. Right, but when I, we were building our brand, it was like, okay, there's this Carvana. What does it do? And now they're just delivering the car to me. We realized that, like, you know, some people are like, is the dealership coming to me? Like, what what is this kind of social pressure? What's going on here? And even though there was none, we just realized giving customers a choice to pick the car up is something that is kind of just natural to them. But if we were going to do it, it could not be a dealership in disguise, right? It had to be something that was very different. It had to be kind of on brand and it had to be a, a really great customer experience. And so like we thought a lot of, about a lot of different kind of options and what they would be and, and came up with you know this car vending machine concept. And I think if you zoom out, people are like, oh, wow, that's a gimmick, man. It looks just like something on the road, whatever, too. And it's like, for sure, I don't agree with the gimmick, but I also agree that like it's great for marketing and branding. You've got these huge glass towers and these high profile locations that are kind of near freeways. It's a very, you know, low cost way for us to get our, our, our name out there. And from like a, a press and media standpoint, it's, it's very like mediagenic, as you can imagine. So I think that's one really important thing. But if you peel it back a little bit, like there is a real benefit to the customer. I think I'd mentioned that like control is important, but like now they get to decide to like, do we come to you or do you come to us? Right. I think giving people that choice through our kind of like purchase process, I think has proved to be very valuable. Um, and like it, it enables them in some cases to get the car sooner just because our vending machines are a nice kind of like, you know, fulfillment apparatus that is very efficient operationally. So like, if you think about it right now, like we have our haulers that are on the road in our markets and those haulers are, you know, you know, carrying a vehicle with one employee and they're typically doing about, you know, four deliveries per day per employee. And that comes with a cost, right? You think about a vending machine, that's whatever, 
you know, has 30 something cars in it, right? You can put cars in there as quickly as you can pump them out. So like if there's three bays at one of our vending machines, those are three bays that are getting a fulfillment that could typically be 15 to 30 minutes per bay. And then you could just keep putting cars through there. So I think customers do have the ability to choose, but in some cases it could be like, hey, their car would come in two days, but you could come pick it up tomorrow. And customers dig that, right? And then from like our own operation, that is a lot more vehicles that we can put out on whatever kind of per you know calc that you want to do. But there's a savings as it relates to our, oper- our operational or overhead costs, right? Kale, you had asked before, say, uh, delivery versus pickup, right? Like delivery has a cost of X, uh, you know, uh, to say pickup has a, you know, a fractional cost of that. So even if you look at it to say it's a lower cost to fulfill, it's more operational efficient, we can do more of them. So even the delta between the cost of delivering a car and the cost of picking it up almost enables us to fund these vending machines which is you circle back up again, becomes that flywheel from all the marketing and branding and awareness that you get from it. And it then helps customers because they can get a car sooner and they have more options and it kind of just feeds on itself. So I think like it's been a, a really kind of like great thing for, for our business and, and customers absolutely love it. And I think the last thing I'd say is like they're showing up, they're, you know, with their phones, they're capturing content, whatever too. And, you know, in our vending machines, we've also made a choice and this kind of just kind of shows back to the marketing and advertising and like our brand and what we want to do is that like we have cameras in there, right? We we have cameras inside the tower. We have cameras in the corridor and bays. We have cameras in the customer center. And so we know when you walk in and like, you know, we say, okay, you know, Kale's here for his pickup. It's one o'clock. We let the system know that you're here. Um, and then basically we give you an oversized coin. You walk up, you put that coin in the machine. There's a trigger event. And we already know that Kale's car is on seventh floor, south side, it goes automatically go up, grabs that car, brings it all the way down, puts it in the bay. The bay is like a little like you know area where you can get the car. The the door opens and now Kale can walk in and he can see his car and get it. But as that's happening, we build technology that's capturing the moment when you put the coin in and the moment it's going through all that. So like you drive away and we send you a customized pickup video that's like 15, 30 seconds or 60 seconds long. So now you have the ability to say, wow, this is a really cool experience I went through and now Carvana's given me my own customized pickup video that I could share and kind of get the word out. I think that to us was just, we didn't have to do that, but we wanted to because we thought it'd be cool and we thought it would be impactful. But it's also like a difference between, you know, what other retailers broadly you're doing things like that when you're buying at retail, let alone an automotive retailer. So that's just like another kind of like fun little wrinkle that we believe are important in terms of the business that we're building and the impact we're trying to have on customers. And can you talk to me about sort of how Carvana approaches inventory? Because I'm sort of fascinated with, you know, you're not doing the quite the marketplace approach, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, it seems like you, you are much more a part of the actual acquiring of the car, making sure it's okay and bringing it to the, to the consumer. Yeah, that's true. So like I mentioned before, we're a, we're a vertically integrated retailer. So we're acquiring vehicles from a lot of different channels. So that can come from you know, wholesale auctions, it can come from consumers, it can come from off lease and off rental. And I think over time, like our ability and view and those channels in which we acquired them has shifted uh, somewhat dramatically. I think when we first started, because we didn't really have a brand name yet and we didn't have the ability to acquire cars from customers, a lot of our inventory was going from the very similar channels that dealerships do. You know, let's go to wholesale auctions, but let's use kind of like data and quantify and site traffic because we're fully transactional to better understand what is the, the right kind of depth and breadth of our inventory. But as we've grown and, and, and scaled and got more sophisticated over time, you know, this last quarter that again that we reported, Q3 was the the first time that we actually bought more cars from consumers that we sold. 
and we're talking huge numbers here. I mean, that's more about like, I think, you know, we bought something like 75,000 cars from customers that quarter when we sold 65,000. So to your question about just inventory diversity, you know, if everyone's going to the kind of same source, those whole channels, you're going to see a lot of the similar cars, right? But when you start getting from consumers, you can really kind of diversify that and find different vehicles that customers are looking for. And for us as a business model, that's beneficial because we can find those cars, we can retail them because we have these inspection centers that are like 20-acre facilities all throughout the country. We have more 10 of them or these cars land that we acquire, we inspect them, we perfect them, and then we hold them just like Amazon. And then we have a logistical network that connects those cars to customers throughout the country. So I think all of that kind of combines together that we're able to have really kind of good views into uh, a continually diversified set of inventory. But to your question, a lot of it comes from those different channels that I mentioned kind of uh, in the beginning there. Can you talk a little about how you've been building out that consumer buying program? Because that's I was doing some research and noticed that you guys were growing that channel. And I find that fascinating. But I imagine that that's probably difficult to scale both on the sort of like data crunching part and the the physical inspection part sort of how have you been approaching that and sort of how how have you conceptualized it as as it's been growing yeah i think a great question i think the the growth has been quite rapid i mean like i mentioned we you know really started focusing on it deeply about 2 years ago and mm-hmm. within kind of 2 years up to to now um you know, we're we're buying more cars and we're actually selling from customers, right? Like I mentioned before, those are huge huge numbers. And I think the way we were able to do both the the buying cars from customers or even just selling cars online is just reducing friction from the process, right? We talked a little bit about it earlier, where there's all these things put in front of you when you're at the traditional dealership going through that transaction and. When we built a self-service platform, we removed a lot of that and put customers in control. So I think the offering itself is very, very easy and intuitive. You know, we have customers come to our website. They kind of fill out a form that has something maybe six to eight questions. It takes a couple of minutes. And then we literally return a firm, real offer back in like sub-second speed. And the reason we're doing that is because we built, you know, really great technology that enables us to have a view into what are kind of like values for cars that we're selling, what, what types of cars are we selling, what cars do we need, how are we looking at wholesale auctions, everything across the board, taking in information on the car itself that the customer's selling. So that way, versus like a dealership, that offer is real. It's not like a it's not like a lead gen, right? Where hey, you know what? Mm-hmm. It's we'll give you five grand, and you come to the dealership, and they walk around the car, and they're like, you know what? Hmm, that actually I didn't see that, and there's that, and whatever too, and that <laughs> five grand comes kind of three grand. We didn't want kind of any of those surprises, so we built it with technology. But the fact that you can tell someone to say, come to our website, and in two minutes you get a value for your car, and tomorrow we'll come pick it up and cut you a check. That is really, really easy for someone to kind of understand from like direct to consumer kind of offering. And the ability that we've kind of created to, to build and kind of execute that at the scale that we are has been the challenge. But that has kind of been the, the flywheel that's been kind of growing that. Because I think through this experience, even if you decided to trade it to us, what we can do is that value goes into our platform where you now see you know, that down payment across all the cars in our inventory. And if you got financing for us, those are like personalized terms to you that if you buy a new car, we'll bring that new one to you and take your old one away as soon as the next day. So I think it's it's very, very seamless. There's not a lot of friction there. And then customers absolutely love it. I think we have something like more than 90 uh, NPS on our Celtic Havana business, which is world-class. And so you combine all that together where through advertising and marketing, it's a simple message people understand. It's a very like seamless you know, 
frictionless experience and people are kind of like loving it and kind of in this new normal where people may want to get, you know, some money or they want to be able to do things from home. It's very purpose built for that. So I think that's been kind of like the fuel that's been driving the engine there as well as for our retail business. I want to go into how 2020 has been because, uh, I mean, I, I've read some articles and I've just been looking into sort of what's happened just in used cars in general, but also with Carvana. But the, how I want to go into it is I feel like probably for the first few years with Carvana, it was an interesting education process with having people sort of buy a car, potentially sight unseen on, online. Did like the coronavirus sort of tip that in a way that, that you'd never thought before? Did that really accelerate people's sort of acceptance of using online platforms to make such a big purchase? Yeah, I think great question. I think and you're right there. I think there's there's no doubt um, that you know coronavirus has helped accelerate uh, a change in consumer preferences. I think before kind of diving deep into that, I would say before that though, you know, our model like we were already the fastest growing retailer ever, right? Mm-hmm. So like within like seven years, we had become the fastest growing retailer kind of like ever on a year over year sales basis. So like the adoption of our model in terms of everything we built had a really exceptional kind of tailwind just because so many people were embracing that. So that was great. But then like you enter kind of into coronavirus and there was a lot of whiplash, right? There's like this new normal, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, like, you know, there's a, there was a brief slowdown, right? Around kind of March and April in the year. And then we as a business had to kind of hunker down and focus. But like, what's great is that our model is purpose built for that seamless self-service, self, excuse me, self-service experience that enables you to get everything done from home and have touchless delivery or pickup and sell to us without encountering kind of a, a human being in that sense, right? But like the changing consumer preferences for sure, I think helped pull people kind of like across the chasm in a sense where if you were there, you're kind of being way more comfortable, you know, or doing a lot more things from home and buying it online. You have a need now to get a vehicle because like maybe you're not as comfortable using mass transit or you don't want to use kind of the shared economy anymore. And then like you can become aware of Carvana and it kind of really ticks all of those boxes. So I think yeah, I think there always is going to be a bit of uncertainty in our model. And I think like every kind of market we've grown or as big as we've gotten, there's always that hill to climb, right? It's always a, hey, this is a considered purchase. This is the second biggest purchase I'm ever going to make. I've kind of heard about you all these things, right? I'm going to see this car. It's not necessarily sight unseen, but I can't physically go kick the tires. And you're giving me a seven-day you know, return policy, which is great because I can see how it fits my life now versus the you know, the four right-hand turns of the dealership. But like, hey, I'm in the middle of coronavirus. Like, this mm-hmm. this is going to kind of pull me across in a sense. So like, no doubt, I think it's been a big enabler. And I think, like I mentioned before, on more of that whiplash piece, like we have seen, you know, more, more and more recently, a, a massive surge in demand. I think as a combination of all the things I just talked about, plus like, plus stimulus and obviously tax returns seasonally that are coming and things like that as well. So can you talk a little about sort of that surge in demand? And I, I, I'll, I believe I I was listening to uh, an interview with Ernie recently, um, and they mentioned that one of the big issues, and I heard about this not just with Carvana, but everywhere, there were huge demand, or excuse me, inventory hiccups, that there just weren't enough used cars back in, I want to say, Q2. Is that that true? Is that something you experience? And sort of how do you go through that when there's a huge surge in demand, but you're having difficulty actually sourcing vehicles to match with people? Yeah, and I'll do my best. I think Ernie is definitely kind of more uh, capable of speaking specifically to this stuff, but like agreed. I feel like when there was that slowdown, right, I think a lot of those channels that we talked about before in terms of where you can acquire vehicles were impacted, right? I think Mm -hmm. a lot of those wholesale channels like auctions, like 
basically almost, you know, stopped in a sense that there was not a lot of kind of volume there. So I think for sure there was a, a tightening of supply. I think we definitely felt that. But I think one thing that kind of helped us was just our Celtic Carvana business that also was just growing so rapidly because we weren't dependent on kind of like one channel um, at the scale that we're at, you know, versus, you know, traditional dealerships in that sense. So I think like no doubt that like there was a, a bit of a, a hiccup in slowdown there. But I think, you know, from that kind of period around, like you said, uh, you know, Q1 or mostly into Q2, I think there's been a, a, a change there in a sense just because of how things have kind of opened up in that sense. And so let's go more into the brand territory. When things first began to go pretty crazy, how, how did you approach it from the marketing standpoint? Where did you did you sort of accelerate with your marketing plans? Did you go into new channels? Sort of how did you approach general brand everything? Yeah, good question. I think uh, on more of a macro level, like our goal is to build a, a national brand um, to you know change the way people buy and sell cars and. Like I, I may have mentioned earlier, the the purchase cycle is very considered, right? And someone buys a car every roughly four to five years. But you know, I don't know about you, but like I think people shop a lot more often, right? When they're looking around, they're like, oh, what kind of car is that? Hey, that's pretty cool. What did you get there? But like, it's more of like, what's that purchase kind of cycle? And so because of that, our approach has always been, you know, very omnichannel, right? We want to combine. You know, the high funnel awareness building channels where we can get our kind of message out and educate. And those are ones like the, the TV, the OTT, you know, some of the digital stuff like that as well. And then we kind of combine that with a lot of in-market direct response channels like SEM, inventory listing. So that way, if you're thinking about a car, or you're actually in the market for a car and you're going to one of these aggregators and looking at all these inventory listings, you know, Carvana is there and present, right? And I think mm-hmm. just focusing on a great customer experience through the, the earned media and word of mouth and creating tools for fans so they can share that experience help kind of creates that flywheel. And I think we, you know, wrap everything around that with a very kind of strong quantitative and qualitative approach just to understand what channels work, what creative works, how is that kind of working, how is it driving kind of awareness as well as kind of consideration into purchase. And so that's kind of like the, I think, the very, very high level approach, how we do it. I think specifically, you know, when, you know, coronavirus like really started to kind of hit us, I think I was really, really proud of just our teams there because like we across all the business just really focus really quickly and we've always taken a, a more of a build versus a buy approach. So like we have our own, you know, under brand is everything from advertising and, and, and marketing and design and meaning UX and UI and organic marketing, everything too. So we had the ability to say from our production team and our creative teams to say, how do we create content really quickly that can get our message out that like, hey, we're taking this serious, right? The safety of our customers and our employees are important. But if you're in the market for a car, here's an experience that is completely seamless and touchless and is is for this new normal. And we were able to build something out in like, I think it was like two weeks and basically transition a lot of our kind of like communications to that. And I think we've just heard a lot of like, you know, feedback from other kind of brands and, and whatnot, people like just being like surprised just how quickly we were kind of out there and how our content was very relevant in terms of what we're doing. So yeah, I think kudos go to the team, but I think like, Everyone there from like a, our engineering and our product and our marketing and everything was just like, how do we make sure we keep things pushing forward? Because like this is going to be a tough time, but we have to get our message out there that you know we're we're here and, and we're a great option in this new normal. So those tweaks that you made in those few weeks was that just like in the messaging you did on social media? Did you change your creative for your OTT ads? So talk a little bit about what those campaigns were and and how you approached them. Yeah, great. I, th- I think you touched you know everything there. I think this was. We created a brand brand new campaign. So this included brand new, uh, 
you know, broadcast content. So this is kind of TV commercials that we were able to kind of pull into um, OTT and other kind of digital channels. It's basically changing the comms as it relates to, you know, like I mentioned before, anything in social and otherwise, and also kind of our inventory listings. It was working with our product engineering teams to change kind of like the, the user experience on our website. So we're able to notify people that, you know, this is how different it is and how the process works and be able to identify cars that potentially have really dramatic savings, right? If people are looking to get something that are is very important to them and how do we highlight that? So it was a very kind of like comprehensive effort at touching everything, but it very much was a, hey, we need to not necessarily turn on the dime, but we really need to focus to get this message out here as quickly as possible. And we we're able to do it in a matter of, of weeks. It was, it was really impressive. And so did you find that there were any significant shifts in sort of the types of cars, demand for cars for, you know, either cheaper cars, more expensive cars, or certain social, you know, certain demographics of people that weren't looking for cars in 2019, but were in 2020? Yeah, great question. And I wish I had a a great answer for you. I think (laughs) as it relates to those specific types of vehicles, you know, I, I don't, it would just be kind of anecdotal. It wouldn't be kind of a fundamental answer. So like, I don't really have a, a good kind of message there, but I think what we kind of have realized over time is, like our business model, it's not like a niche business, right? It's, we're not necessarily selling cars just to a very kind of like narrow or specific audience that we're really, really challenging to, to try to break out of, right? I think if you look at kind of our demographics, you know, there's obviously like seasonal things that change out over time, but it is the average car buyer, right? If you look at other mm-hmm. kind of publicly traded companies, it's like, it's, you know, median age, median income, median FICO. It's, it's, it's exciting for us because we're pulling, you know, all sorts of different people, which is that average car buyer to this new way to buy a car. And it's whether people that are buying a car first time and, and don't, you know, are born online, right? And, and, and want to make that purchase is there. Or, you know, we're, we're working with someone who's in her fifties or sixties who have bought 10 cars, right? And, and don't want to go through that dealership experience again. Or, some of that always buys Honda Accords and just realize that like we have a huge amount of them and, and, and it's at a great kind of like price because you're going to save a lot of money with no fees. It's, it, it really has been a model that you know, we're, we're excited that does appeal to, to a broad demographic. Um, and so, like I said, it's, that kind of shifts, micro shifts over time a little bit and that inventory will always kind of move. But in a lot of cases, we're providing inventory that is very specific to the customer that is coming to us and what they're looking for, right? From a macro and a micro uh, standpoint. Did you test out any new marketing channels over the last year or are you planning to this coming year or has it all just been sort of tweaking the things that you've, you've already been doing? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, right? We're always, you know, tweaking kind of the, the message and how do we kind of better educate and, and make people aware of, of Carvana in, in the right way. And, and it's the balance of like building a brand and generating direct response, right? It's always kind of threading that needle. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's how do you kind of make sure you're kind of doing both because it is such a, such a long sales cycle. And, but from a testing standpoint, like I said, we're always testing messaging and creative, but we're also testing channels all the time. And I think one of the things that's, that's interesting about our business model is that because it's uh, fully transactional, and because we're very, very strong on a quantitative basis, we have really great insight into what channel or what piece of creative or what network or what show is driving what type of response. Not kind of like immediately, just immediately to our website, but also kind of further downstream in that funnel to be able to say, okay, great. Like, should we put in an ad on Judge Judy or should we not? Or mm-hmm. should we put this type of ad there? Or how does, you know, our TV response rate and downstream kind of affect this compared to others? And we're always doing that all the time. And so that kind of balance with, 
because we're a vertically integrated business, right? We couldn't just say like, hey, let's turn on the lights and now we're in 50 markets across the country, right? We had to start in Atlanta. We, we launched in March of 2013. And from there, it's been like, launch a market, launch a market, mar- launch a market. And you know, I think now we're over something like 260 markets kind of nationwide and we're covering roughly 73 or 75% of the country. But because of that, those are some very kind of ripe testing grounds, right? Because you have a lot of different cohorts, which are markets that we launch by year. You have a lot of markets that are similar to one another. Like, is an Atlanta like a Charlotte or is a LA like a San Francisco? And we're able to do isolated kind of market tests to better kind of understand all things being equal. How does this test, even if it's a, say, channel that's not very attributable, how does it kind of like really kind of move the needle in a sense through implied metrics that we're looking at or even hard metrics that we see? So that's one of the things that we use. Um, you know, quite, quite frequently. So we're doing a lot of tests kind of all over the place across those two dimensions. Can you just go a little bit more into how you go about attribution at all, given it is such a long purchase cycle and you do, you do have a lot of channels that are very difficult to, to do that? Yeah, I think like we've got a we've got a team of of quantitative marketers that are like very very sophisticated and like you know these are <laughs> these are you know uh, guys and gals that have like PhDs in astrophysics and are just doing some amazing <laughs> stuff there. So I definitely can't speak to all the amazing and awesome stuff that they're doing, but like I think like you know even just to get you know. TV, for example, right? Like I mentioned before, like we've grown our competency from like just not only a, an analytics, but a media, like a planning and, and buying standpoint. And we do partner with an awesome uh, agency out of New York, uh, Horizon Media there. But I think we've gotten so sophisticated just in kind of TV now that it's not just like, you know, what's the cost per impression and what's the response rate down to creative? Like we're able to use, you know, smart televisions and social graphs to be able to like, you know, pixel people that are coming from particular kind of TV shows because those TVs are smart enough now to be able to recognize that that is our ad that is playing. And with these attribution windows, whether it's a, a burst model or our own kind of proprietary model, how are we looking at those people going through that whole funnel? And like I mentioned before, it's not just, hey, is is this kind of channel or network better from a pure direct response rate? It's like, we're actually kind of better understanding, like, what is the actual cost per sale all the way down funnel for a particular piece of creative that could be airing on a particular you know, network, cable, broadcast, or what have you. So I think that isn't it's something like TV, but as you get into like deeper, like almost like math marketing, like you know, SEM and things like that too, like our sophistication and, and the type of work our team is doing there is has been pretty phenomenal just because it's so sticky. Um, so hopefully that's a little bit kind of deeper there without kind of giving away kind of too much and obviously <laughs> hopefully not speaking out of turn where these guys are like, come on, man, you should have said something better there. <laughs> No, I, I I mean, they are much smarter than me. And so your answer was great, I'm sure. Um, can you talk to us a little about now that the, you know, 2020 is over, you know, obviously nothing is normal and there's a lot of things that remain to be seen, but sort of how are you approaching your job and your priorities for growing the brand in 2021? Yeah, uh, great question there. You know, I think first thing we always talk about is like, we got to stay focused and we can't mess this up. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're at a point where, you know, we're continuing to grow, you know, very, very rapidly. So I think, how do we continue to scale? How do we continue to deliver, you know, amazing customer experiences to create that, that flywheel, right? So that way someone has a great one, tells another one too, and that kind of story kind of continues to grow. I think, you know, our overarching goal is to change the way people buy and sell cars, we want to basically sell more than you know two million cars per year, and we want to be the most profitable retailer ever. And I think to be able to do that, you know, our awareness is is not as strong as some of the more ingrained competitors. We've only been doing this for a smaller period of time versus them. But like our market share is is been growth has been very dramatic, uh, and we're you know we're we're catching up, right? I don't, I don't know exactly, but I think we ended last year 
you know, being the, the third largest automotive retailer in the country and being the fastest automotive retailer ever, right? But our awareness still from a, you know, uh, from a, like a, whatever metric you want to look at it, whether it's like, you know, accumulated or not is, is, is still low. So it's like, how do we get out there? How do we tell a story about Carvana that can be rational and that can be emotional? How do we take basically a process that is very opaque, but also very complex, meaning it's got financing, it's got a trade-in, it's got delivery, it's got pickup, it's got vending machines, it's got all of these things that when you go to a traditional dealership, you're a little nervous about what you're going through. And you're kind of like, you're, you're on guard and what's going on there. It's like, how do we kind of communicate that way uh, that we're different in a way that kind of makes sense to people through all the channels that we're doing? So I think to me, kind of focusing on the brand piece is I want to continue to create amazing experiences for our customers. I want to continue to kind of evolve the awareness of our brand and what we stand for. I want to continue to kind of educate on all the kind of you know, differences, but also you know, what we believe to be better than the traditional way of doing something and, and really kind of carving out our, our space there. Um, and then I want to be able to continue to scale and find just amazing people to kind of continue to push this thing forward as best as we can. So I think hopefully that's a lot of things that's, that kind of touches on there. But I think that like, you know, we're, we're here because we really focused on delivering these great customer experiences and we're never going to let that go. And so like we're continuing to make sure we're building the right processes and finding the right people and just making sure the business continue to, to grow at this exceptional rate. And like I said before, not, <laughs> not, not mess anything up. And so you you mentioned the two mil the two million cars sold goal. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it in the last quarter or Q3 you sold sixty four thousand cars? Is that the correct number? I believe so. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think like you know in some of the public filings, I would just kind of encourage you to look there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think in 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 2019 we sold uh, 177 thousand cars, um, and then in our last quarter that were reported, we uh, sold sixty five thousand cars, which was. You know, for the year over year basis in 2019, we grew 90%. For that third quarter, I think we grew something closer to 40% year over year. Um, and that was kind of through all the kind of issues that we were talking about before. So when, is, when are you hoping, do you have a, a general year date for when you hit that 2, two million mark? Uh, we don't. I don't think we've kind of publicly disclosed that. It's just kind of like, we got to just keep marching there, right? And I think if you kind of lay out these lines and you look at kind of exponential growth at this rate, you're going to get there sooner or later. But I think at, at this point, it's like how are we, like I mentioned before, making sure that we're 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 getting ready for this this quarter that's coming up here. It's a it's a it's a it's a big quarter for us because it's like season it's seasonal. It's about like tax returns and people getting more money. It's like how are we making sure that we're just scaling the business and getting it ready for that wave so that we uh, create these great customer experiences. Got it. All right, Ryan, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks, Gil. I uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for all the good questions. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. 